Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC. This episode is a Pillar and Ground confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Today's topic is on the supreme judgment of Scripture, the last two sections of chapter one. So we are wrapping up our study of chapter one in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, First, 1.9 reads as follows, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. Therefore, when there is a question about the true and full meaning of any Scripture, which is not manifold, but one, that meaning must be searched out and ascertained by other places that speak more clearly. So I want to talk about 1.9, and then we'll talk about 1.10. And in section 1.9, we have something I've already spoken about in episode 4. I spoke about this as we discussed uh, the view of the Westminster Confession of Faith on the right of private interpretation of the Bible rather than what would be known as clericalism. And what that meant was that scriptural interpretation does not belong to the teaching office in the church alone. For much of church history, the Bible was chained to the church lectern, and only the priests were allowed to read it and then interpret it. And as we considered the right of private interpretation, combined with translation of scriptures and the propagation of copies of the scripture in the hands of all the people, we also discussed that that presented the need for sound interpretation or hermeneutical principles for all people. The most important hermeneutical principle or interpretation guideline is noted very clearly in Westminster 1.9. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. Or as Chad Van Dixorn notes, No part of the canon of Scripture can be read in isolation from the rest. That means, for example, we trust that what Paul teaches the church in Coloss and what he teaches the church, say, in Thessalonica or in Ephesus or Galatia, all those letters will be a coherent, unified, and consistent truth. It may sound a little different, but he is addressing different context, and we can trust that Scripture interprets Scripture. An example of this hermeneutical principle I want us to consider is in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verses 5-6 through 6, reads as follows. But you know he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So with those two verses isolated just to themselves, do these verses mean that God's children never sin? It says. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So how do we interpret this passage? Well, Scripture interprets Scripture. So look within the letter itself of 1 John and you get clarity. 1 John 1.8. John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that brings clarity to us that that's not what 1 John 3, 5 through 6 is saying. It's not saying that God's children never sin. 1 John 1, 8 makes that very clear that that is actually deception, not truth. We could certainly look elsewhere throughout the Bible to see that this cannot mean that God's children never sin. Consider even that Paul in one of his last letters described himself as the chief of all sinners. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost, not of which I was the foremost, I am, towards the end of his life. And so we can understand Scripture interprets Scripture, and we're helped to know those verses in 1 John 3.5-6 cannot mean that Christians never sin. So what does it mean? Well, if you read further in 1 John 3, 9, it says no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. In this particular letter, John is speaking of family resemblance, that for the child of God, sin is not a settled habit because it was not and is not for Jesus. In him is no sin. Because God's seed is in his children, Christians can no longer be determined sinners whose lives are an unchanged continuation of sin in the same way when we were not born of God. John is showing, we see by reading further in the text, Verse 9, not just verses 5 through 6. He is showing that children of God despise sin, possessing a holy discontent and determination against it, because that is family resemblance of having the seed planted in you and being in this family. Because we share his nature, children of God grow in hating what God hates and loving what God loves. So that's an example as you read 1 John 3, 5 through 6 of how you interpret Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. And now to 1.10. Westminster Confession of Faith 1.10 says, The supreme judge by whom all controversies of religion are to be settled and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and claims to private revelations are to be examined, can be only the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. With His decision, we are to be satisfied. So, we are to rest in no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. The supreme judge in the church. Now listen to this can be only the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. Why does it not just say the supreme judge is the Scripture, but it says the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture? This is really important. 
because Reformed doctrine will not require the conscience to bow to anything other than the Word of God as revealed through the Scripture by the Holy Spirit. And in the moment of the writing of the Westminster Confession of Faith, this was really important because it was the church that was asserting that they alone held the power to interpret the infallible Word of God in an authoritative manner. And Westminster Confession of Faith makes clear that only the Holy Spirit has that authority to make those judgments. And that was incredibly liberating. But Scripture and the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture as supreme judge is not only liberating, but humbling. Hear John Stott in his book, Authentic Christianity. We need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture, and we must learn to sit humbly under its judgments instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed He will not speak to us, and we shall only be confined in our own prejudices. We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. You see, The Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture as supreme judge both liberates us and humbles us. We are not allowed, because of our own opinion or views, to stand above the Scripture. Paul wrote much of this in his last letters to Timothy. According to 2 Timothy 3, 2-5, Timothy in that moment is surrounded in his context by those who are, quote, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, who have a form of godliness but deny its power. He goes on in verse 13 of chapter 3 to speak of evil men and impostors deceiving and being deceived. And he speaks of the downward spiral of deceit in chapter 4, when he says there would be a time when men will not put up with sound doctrine, But instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them, listen to this, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You see, that's the issue of haughtiness, standing above Scripture, making Scripture somehow say what we want it to say. But the supreme judge in the church is the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. This sort of thing of standing above Scripture is something we are tempted to in our own day. You may hear people say that the church must be always reforming. That's a popular phrase, particularly in Reformed churches like ours. And they even use that popular 17th century slogan that arose in the church, Semper Reformanda. But that statement alone, Semper Reformanda, always reforming, actually would stand against the confession of faith. The good news is there's more to that statement from the 17th century than just semper reformanda. It's this. Ecclesia reformata, semper reformanda, secundum verbi dei. Now that's what the confession believes, and that phrase means this. The reformed church is always reforming according to the word of God. It's really sad that we've left off so often the Word of God when we say Semper Reformanda. 
because if we're always reforming, we'll just go with the times. But we are to always be reforming and adjusting our life to the Word of God, which is the supreme judge of all controversies of religion, decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and any claim to private revelations. See, this doctrine of Scripture as supreme judge through the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to conflict with current perspectives of the day. And here's the truth of Westminster Confession 1.10. If the current perspective of our times does not fit with the Bible, the current perspective is wrong, not the Bible. As R.C. Sproul states, Scripture does not fit the preferred philosophy of the day, and therefore is not to be trimmed and forced to conform to it. You see, in our own day, there's many contemporary issues where we as Christians want to give compassion, and we should. But compassion without truth is actually deception, not love. And that's where we land with the end of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The supreme judge of all things is the Holy Spirit speaking through Scripture. And before we wrap up, I want to make sure we understand what Scripture as supreme judge does not mean. This Westminster Confession of Faith 1.10 does not mean that all you need is the Bible. It does not condone a me and my Bible sort of Christianity. Because the Westminster Confession of Faith will go on in its writings, it will not eradicate any and all other authority. Chapter 20 speaks of Christian liberty and the liberty of conscience. Chapter 22 of the civil magistrate. Chapter 25 of the church. Chapter 30 of church censures. Chapter 31 of synods and councils. In other words, Jesus, me, and the Bible is not the view of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The Bible, hear this really carefully, is not the only authority. The confession says it's the only unquestionable authority. God in his providence has provided us with parents, pastors, leaders, elders, councils, doctrines, opinions of ancient writers, commentaries. And though these are not unquestionable, God has appointed in his providence that we would live lives that are led and not merely function alone with just me and my Bible. His providential guides are good for us. And so scripture is supreme judge does not mean we eliminate all other authority in our life, but we submit in the providence of God to those authorities, knowing this, there's only one unquestionable authority, and that is the Holy Spirit speaking through scripture. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pillar and Ground.